Welcome everyone to Davos Fingers episode 26, Most Men Are Grey. I'm Scatty and we have with us, as always, Brooke and Matt. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Scat really <laughs> liked that one. <laughs> I'm trying to place it, it sounded like something. This week... It's like when you do that, oh my god, it's like, hello. <laughs> this week we'll be covering five chapters from A Clash of Kings. We have this week Danny 3, Tyrion 9, holy crap, 9, Davos 2, John 5, and Tyrion 10. That's chapters 40 to 44, according to a wiki of Ice and Fire. A reminder to everyone, we are spoiler-free until the end of the podcast for a special segment that we call Davos After Dark. Don't worry, Matt's magical musical jingle will warn you as soon as Davos After Dark is coming, uh, and we'll be spoiler-free for anybody that's reading along at our pace uh, until that point. So uh, the other thing we always remind is if you want to contact us, suggest topics, uh, rant and rave like a lunatic, anything you want, uh, you can reach us at DavosFingers.com, email at WeAreDavosFingers at gmail.com, find us on Facebook or at Twitter at DavosFingers, and uh, we'd love to hear from you guys <clears throat> whenever you want to reach out. Uh, quick little milestone check, we do this every once in a while, we, have, we are having a record month for a total number of listens, so thank you guys for the support. Uh, 75,000 listens we reached a couple days ago. We're now up to almost 78. It's moving real quick. Uh, thanks, thanks for the support, guys. Um, so rewarding to just see those numbers go up and just think, who's listening to this crap? <laughs> so thank you. Yeah, in all sincerity, <laughs> thanks for listening to our crap. Yeah. So, uh, lastly, we had uh, uh, some, some contact with uh, one of our listeners, Chase Turnot. He is entering the U.S. Navy very soon and will have to be missing the Davos Fingers episodes to come for the period while he's away and in, in, in doing training and reporting and stuff. So thanks, Chase or not, for your service and uh, hope you can last without us for, for those, uh, I think it's a few months, right, Matt? Is that what he said? Yeah, it's like three months or something. Yeah. He did say that he's got a long drive home afterwards, though, so All he's right. planning on catching up then. <laughs> but unfortunately, I don't even think he's going to be able to hear this before he goes. I think he leaves before this episode will even be released. Oh, maybe we'll ship it out too well. early. Uh, I wonder yeah, if he'll find himself early. like a, a War Bride podcast to listen while he's away. <laughs> <laughs> a war? I don't. E- I. I don't even know what this is. I feel sheltered. I now. have no words. <laughs> we can Google that afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even worth explaining. Brooke, are you quoting inappropriate things again? No, what? no, it's just like World War Two. Oh. Guys would go over to Europe and they'd be stationed in like, like England or something before getting shipped off to Poland or wherever. <laughs> they'd knock themselves up a girl and have to marry her. Oh, <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah. And that's how we get our national soccer team these days. You Are you know. serious? Oh, like, yeah, last World Cup. I mean, we have a German coach now, but last World Cup, a German coach. We took like half the players we took were like. It sounds terrible, but yeah, they were they were they were children of servicemen that got child got German women with a child while they were over there, and uh, yeah, a lot of them, Jermaine Jones and oh, several there are several of them, <laughs> Julian Green, yeah. Anyway, Scott's I'm starting to suspect the parentage of your own children. I don't think you know what you're doing. <laughs> uh, I paid a German serviceman to come and have my children, so. That they could play for the German national team. Uh, okay. So, Matt, your episode. Uh, anything to add? Nope. Just to kick it over to you, buddy, for our, our Danny chapter. 
That's right, Danny. Silver hair and purple eyes, always on the go. Kicking it with the dragon kids and Jorothy and oh, she knows just where she gotta go and won't be tarrying. Look out, Westerosi comes the nearest Targaryen. So, reclining in the opulence of Zara's own Doxos litter, Danny recounts her failure to woo the pureborn to support her cause. Who the fuck are the pureborn? I'm glad you asked. The pureborn are descendants of the ancient kings and queens of Karth. They're kind of like the old money of Karth. Uh, though it's really less about money and more about birth. <laughs> kind of like some places around here. Kind of high society if you're born that way. Uh, basically, though, they work for tribute only. So they kind of can grease the wheels and make certain things happen if you bribe them. In any event, despite said hefty bribes, they see her dragon and curiosity about that dragon sated, refuse to help her in her pleas for soldiers ships, a cup of coffee, anything. The merchant princes, of which Zarozoan Doxos is one, are kind of more like the new money. Uh, they really kind of run the show, uh, shippers, merchants, traders. Um, there's three kind of main groups of them. They're always at odds with each other. And then lastly, the other kind of powerful group uh, of Karth is the warlocks. Uh, kind of don't know a whole lot about them yet. They seem kind of like troublemakers, not trusted by anyone, and they got nasty blue lips from drinking some skanky stuff. So, it's revealed that Zaro has Danny raking in the gold, basically through appearance fees. Like, you go to a Comic-Con, and, like, you see, uh, you know, you see, I don't know, I don't even know, Patrick Stewart up there, like, he gets an appearance fee for that, right? Well, basically, she's charging people to come see her dragons, which is kind of awesome. So, she's got a bunch of money that she's using to bribe these people, and, uh, kind of live her life. Anyway, so the pureborn route is exhausted, so she starts working on Zaro. He also, though, declines to, to help her, indicating that she should marry him instead and stay in beautiful Karth. This has little effect as well, and Danny's not wooed. She then asks for all of the 13 to pitch in, um, or, or even the rival Spicers traders or the Tourmaline Brotherhood. Those are the three, uh, the three trading, trading groups. But they all have the kind of the same answer, according to Zaro. They don't care about the Iron Throne. Westeros is forever away, and they just have no interest in sending money or resources or ships a million miles away to help something they don't care about. So she, he basically tells her he doesn't think she's going to get any help. So amidst this, the carriage comes to a halt. So the crowd outside is gathered to watch a fire mage. And he's basically a, a little guy that can kind of control fire. He makes a ladder out of it and climbs up and disappears and does all sorts of stuff. Uh, it's all a front, though, so that he can have his little cut purses in the crowd steal from people. Anyway, the show sounds kind of impressive, actually. And at the end, Quaithe appears. Remember Quaithe, uh, one of the three riders that uh, showed up at Vice Tolaro um, that was interested in the dragons. She of the lacquered mask. You can't see her face. She appears to Danny to tell her that magic is back in the world due to her dragons and warns her that she should leave Karth and soon. Uh, she specifically gives her somewhat of an ominous passage that I'm just going to take a second to read here. It's on page 583, if you're reading along. To go north, you must journey south. To reach the west, you must go east. To go forward, you must go back. And to touch the light, you must pass beneath the shadow. Interesting. So, from that, Danny understands that she needs to go to a sigh, a shy, a sigh, ass high. Uh, but when ass high. Ass high. But when she, she should... what? 
The third one was the correct pronunciation. Ass high? Yes. It just sounds dirty. (laughs) But when she asks Quaithe what she will find there, the answer she gets is truth. So, she returns to the manse. She gets counsel now from Jorah. He agrees you need to leave Karth and head east. uh, Buy time for her eventual conquest. This advice, too, though, she ignores, insisting that she gets aid in Karth and can make a play at her crown and her throne. She commits to visit Pyat Pri and the Warlock Conclave on the morrow. And that is the end of the chapter. I think it really is a shy, but I like Asai better. Yeah, it's a gooder. It's a gooder. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, well, I'll go with Asai. Uh, you know, I don't care. So, I, I guess... Uh, the the most important thing I think in this thing is, is the the appearance of the fire mage and the uh, the reemergence of magic back in the world and the explanation uh, from Quaith. Do you guys want to talk about that a little bit? Yes. <laughs> all right. So she Quaith Quaith. I didn't go through all of this in the summary, but Quaith basically says that this guy before had virtually no power with fire until a few months ago or a few weeks ago even. And that his power has kind of steadily grown, and she attributes it to the dragons uh, that Danny is that Danny has. But I, I don't know. It's, it seems. Uh, what are well, Quaid's motives? It's, to... it's, a, it's a it's a real coincidence, real convenient coincidence that yeah. those two things line up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't know anything about Quaid either. Uh, like, what are her motivations? Maybe she's trying to flatter Danny. Maybe she's trying to mislead her. I don't know. I, it it does. I mean, we don't have a better explanation, right? But and we know, you know, it seemed like the dragons when they were birthed, it seemed to be that like they were birthed from magic. Danny walked into the fire, came out untouched, other than her hair. Um, so it seems well, like they I could be related. I would say you kind of hit the nail on another theory, which. I think it's easily forgotten that it's not necessarily that the dragons that have heralded this new age of magic, but actually it's Danny. Right. Hmm. Because it's also about that time that she, you know, got her blood moon and became a woman, which might like unleash some sort of Targaryen old Valyrian power oh. within her. So, and she is certainly the ones, the one who actually hatched the dragons like without her, they would have stayed stone, right? And Quaith is kind of vague about it. She says, because I was trying to figure out, is it the dragon she's talking about or is it Danny she's talking about? Mm. And she says, now his powers grow, Khaleesi, and you are the cause of it. Danny says, me? How could that be? The woman stepped closer and laid two fingers on Danny's wrist. You are the mother of dragons, are you not? Hmm. So I think it's, it's starting that's, with Danny. That's vague, though. It is because it could mean it could mean well, because you were you able gave to bring the dragons birth to the dragons. Yeah. Now the dragons yeah. brought this power back and everything. She also is the remember... chicken. Yeah, <laughs> chicken or the egg. Yeah. Sorry, keep going. Uh, but also, all of a sudden, we've got uh, on the other side of the world. I don't think this is a spoiler. It's not. We've got these others that are all of a sudden reappearing and attacking people and stuff like that, which hadn't happened for a long time either. Yeah. So, but but should be noted, happened well before the reemergence in the prologue of the entire series. Happened well before Danny's Blood Moon or any of that stuff. Well, and well, I don't know how, I don't know how this wise. is 
figured out, but the chronology uh, actually puts the events of Danny in Game of Thrones like almost a year before the events of everything in Westeros. Does it really? Yeah, that all happens in like 298. Um, and Danny, it says in the in the um, chronology and stuff that you can see on the Wiki of Ice and Fire that she gets sold to Drogo and stuff in 297. Is she still that much ahead? Or did like everybody catch up at some point? That I, I haven't looked at the mm. chronology enough. Well, you Some say of that, our listeners no, could probably... Well, help. just but, knowing what we know, she's probably caught up because yeah, the assassin came. Yeah, but how long does news right, travel? Yes. And, yeah, it was yeah. like she spent. Months. She spent a lot of time just out on the Dothraki Sea and stuff. That yeah. I think George cut out a lot of just kind of the mundane day-to-day stuff that she went through. So if I can follow the theory then, you're, you're actually saying that it's possible, and maybe even likely or probable or actually just true that Danny is the source of magic coming back in the world, which would be dragons and maybe others. If we were to tie them together, yeah, I, I was, versa. I was making or, or vice versa. Right. Could be that the others yeah. are causing the other, the other, everything else to happen. I was actually saying that the others came before because of the timeline seemed to say that, but you're, you, this nugget that you've revealed to me, I didn't know that, that they actually maybe coincided or were close to the same time. That's interesting. Yeah, or maybe maybe they arrived at the same time the whole ice and fire thing. The mm. name of the books. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually looking back just to make sure that I got this right. And it does say that no. Nope. Okay. This kind of puts it more closer together. Year two ninety seven on the Wiki of Ice and Fire. Says it was a quiet year, but is marked by the first recorded activity of the others in Westeros. So that actually did happen in 297. Um, and it also says that 297 um, saw Viserys and Daenerys being taken into the care of Illyrio. Hmm. And they were with Illyrio for like six months, I think. Yeah, it's very close. So it's, yeah, that's yeah. Put, that puts it even closer. Yeah, interesting. Pardon me for having that on. Plus, the appearance of the others given in a whole year. Who knows when that was? I mean, it's very vague, right? But uh, mm-hmm. and, and George is frequently, and I, if I were him, I'd do the same damn thing. He, he's always very vague about dates, right? Like he tries to leave out details yeah. as much as he can. Um, good for. I him. have no idea how people have compiled this and been able to pinpoint. Oh man, yeah. And thanks. Times and concordance and think, stuff. Thanks yeah. for doing it, whoever has done it. I think, thanks for digging through all those details. I think Brendan Beefish sent that to us, um, didn't he? I think? Anyway. Yeah, and he's never explained this whole seasonal winter, summer thing either. Yeah, no. I know. Still well, makes me Well, he's, he just says it's magic. He says the world's magic. That's the only thing he's said. Oh, really? That's been, like, documented? Yeah, he said it in uh, So Spake Martin, I think. Somebody will correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure about that. One of the random things I read one day. So, moving on to more lighthearted fare. Do you think the Carthine men are just always lusting after right boob? <laughs> like, I bet that right boob that she has is fantastic. Because they always I get to see the left one. It's like common fare. become desensitized to, to all of the right boobs out there. No, they become desensitized to the left boob. Oh, pardon me. The right boob is hidden and still a mystery. Right, right. Sorry. Shrouded in mystery. <laughs> so they're like, they're like, oh, what I wouldn't give to see that other boob. Typically deformed. <laughs> yeah, who knows? 
anyway. I got the impression that uh, Danny was hinting that Zara was gay. I think it was more than hinted. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's got, he talks about she noticed the little boys around his manse and that he barely looked at her where Jorah couldn't take his eyes off her. The creeper. Yeah. <laughs> Staring into her one nipple eye. <laughs> yeah, he wow. didn't. It wasn't that he couldn't <laughs> take his eyes off her. He was staring right at the the born breast. Forbidden fruit. Mm-hmm. Singular one piece. One one piece of fruit. Danny's like, hey, my eyes are up here, buddy. <laughs> oh, sorry, Galicia. <laughs> <laughs> Good impression. Your Mormon impression. Yeah. As good as my Forrest Gump. He seemed a little panicked in your impression. I think he'd be a little more solid than that. Well, he was caught in the act. So here, here we have in Danny in Karth a a woman of unimagined wealth and also extreme poverty. That is, uh, to quote Streetcar Named Desire, completely reliant on the kindness of strangers. Right. Which she's always been her whole life. Yeah. Yeah, I think, though, her the impression I got from a very young age that her brother sort of ingrained in her that it was she was entitled to it. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So she she kind of balanced it out with her own natural humility. But I'd say she's still feeling pretty entitled and she seems to have adapted very well to like people like paying homage to her. Yeah, that's a great that's a great scheme. Not even a scheme, mm-hmm. just use what you got. Thinking about doing it with my cats. I think Come it'll work. By. I think it'll work. Can yeah. you put wings on them and, like, make them breathe fire? <laughs> They're cute enough as is, but yeah, I could probably do that. Can they do any tricks? Uh, well, if they feel like it. Right. <laughs> That's the thing about cats. It's always if they feel like it. Yeah. So one of my favorite quotes uh, from this chapter, uh, Zaro is trying to convince her to relax and drink the wines of relaxation, basically, roughly, or loosely said. Uh, you know, marry him and, and stay in Karth. And she responds, I'm going to drink the wine of vengeance from the skull of the usurper. <laughs> Whoa, Danny. <laughs> Chill out a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> she sure knows how to turn a phrase. I love that. It's awesome. And it, I, part of it that caught me is just, first, the sheer awesomeness of that phrase just stands on its own. But, like, he's dead. Let it go. <laughs> no, like... <laughs> You can go take your throne. You can probably leave his skull alone. You know, save the hacksaw. Yeah, you know, and it's kind of interesting to me that Danny. Well, and maybe it's because she doesn't know what's going on in Westeros. But for us, and we know what a crap show Westeros is right now. It's kind of just like, wouldn't Danny just be better off just staying there? It's a lovely place. She'd live in this huge mansion. Um. I don't know. It kind of seems like a good idea to just hang out in Karth to me. She's a woman of destiny, Matt. Is that what you would do? You just hang out? Listen, you know me by now. (laughs) (laughs) If I can take the easy way out of anything, you know I'm going to. I'd be like, this house, this house is awesome. Sure, my marriage is going to be just kind of a farce, but that's okay. Because I've got this huge house. I live in this great city. It's like Mardi Gras on the street all the time, apparently. I'm just going to hang out here. Group. This sounds great. <laughs> mm, yeah. Westeros, way too much work to get there right now. I think she feels... I, th- I think... 
I don't know. There's not there's no evidence of this in the text, but I think she feels she owes it to everyone to come back. It's her birthright and also her responsibility. Kind of how Stannis feels too, right? But yeah. I, I think she feels like that's where she belongs. Right. She's very driven. But very as well. Yeah. But also it's her reaction to seeing and dealing with slavery too that is a real motivator for her. So living the high life but being served by slaves kind of like cancels out any good times actually mm. did they i guess uh, maybe i've just become kind of numb to it is karth full of slaves I thought it was maybe it is they talk about the boys it, it in zara's mans and stuff um, uh, but i don't the... even know that we've had slavery mentioned in karth yet well, it's implied, I think. I, think. I mean, Scott's they, they got all these guys in the manse and stuff. I don't think they call them slaves. They're like pages and serving boys and stuff. They could be employed. Uh, but I think you're right. They're probably mm. slavery. According to a wiki of Ice and Fire, there is. There the Corsine consider slavery very essential to their civilization and have no qualms about its existence. Mm -hmm. There is. Yeah. Hmm. It's interesting, though. I mean, she, she did. I agree with you, Brooke. She had a very... Uh, a very emotional reaction to slavery with the Lazarine. You haven't seen that mm -hmm. much in Karth, have you? I, I mean, I, you didn't get that emotional no. reaction this time. At least not that I remember. Yeah, she's seen some pretty good parts of it, though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's right through the walls in the heart of the city. Yeah. All right, uh, I didn't have anything else too, uh, too huge on, uh, on Danny. Me neither. Get a job, Danny. Get a job. My friend, have you guys ever seen the musical Rent? Have we talked no. about this before? Oh, jeez. Yeah, no, I've deliberately musicals. not yeah, seen okay. it. It's fantastic. Uh, so, it's not just a movie, obviously. It's a Broadway musical. But uh, my friend Mary, who she runs a theater company and everything, she's, she's awesome. Uh, but she, she's watching that movie and she wants, you know, she's an artist too, an actor and, and stuff. And so she, she wants to believe in the, you know, that whole lifestyle and... Um, you know, lovey bohem and everything, but uh, she says sometimes I just look at those people squatting in rent. And I'm like, get a job. You don't just get to do art. Get a job. That's what I'm thinking with Danny. Like, they're not going to give it to you. Get a job. Earn it. Go do something. Yeah, anyway. it's all because she didn't cry. Yeah, should have cried. Should have cried. cried. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Become one with the culture. They will reward you. Yeah, I can see her just. I get how that totally just is so distasteful to her. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, fake she's, crying. She's all fake about suffering. strength and yeah, like uh, what are you what are you doing? You have no right to those tears. Mm -hmm. No, like, really, really. But talented, because like, as I understand it, and Scad, you can probably speak to this as an actor. To mm -hmm. make yourself cry, you have to think of something really sad, right? Uh... Or is it? purely physical thanks for the compliment and calling me an actor that's awesome you, you are uh, an actor and uh, i can't do it no no i can't do it i can't cry on command no oh i've been i've been i've been moved by a scene before and cried but I, I can't just do it whenever i have fully cried on command wow jeez you're talking about like you can cry on command yeah are you talking about like over trying to manipulate my father so easy. Wait, wait, wait. Are those two separate instances? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and more than once. 
<laughs> like hysterics crying or like legitimate emotional crying in investment like tears like running down your face like single tears, tears coming out of my eyes because wow. anybody can like <gasps> you know like just like yeah. make sobbing noises but to get the the legit tears out i think uh, i think the real actor on this cast is you then brooke yeah. no i just can think of really sad things <laughs> wow well i feel note, feel like this says like like you haven't suffered enough like uh, like maybe to be a true artiste you have to go live what did you say lovey bohem lovey bohem uh that yeah i mean a lot of people say that I, I mean matt can back me up on the music side you know they say that especially god i can't believe i'm gonna go there there's so little information about this rappers especially like they say their first albums are by far their best because they're dealing with their real life and they hit it big and they don't have as much real tragedy to deal with anymore. Mm. Um, and it's it's less moving and it's less authentic. Uh, and I think that goes for a lot of different artists. But, um, you know, that's why a lot of a lot of uh, artists, you know, painters and, and stuff, they're not famous until afterward. And then they discover oh, all yeah. of this valuable art that they're like, this person had real things to say. I'm glad we didn't find them during their life. They never would have produced this good stuff. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But... Anyway. Like Frida Kahlo and yeah. what's his nuts who the ear, uh, <laughs> Van Gogh. Oh, Van Gogh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm glad we got what's his nuts squeezed in there. That's good. Yep. <laughs> the, the odds were I was gonna squeeze it in. I seriously say That's it all said. the time because one, it's hilarious. Two, I forget names <laughs> constantly. <laughs> Not just like names in a song of ice and fire but like my name names. yeah and i work in communications it's a bad situation <laughs> you called me carl last week <laughs> stand by that you look like a carl <laughs> i think you look more like a lenny simpsons reference good one way to squeeze that in that's what, let me watch that's what she said <laughs> oh my goodness we are so. I don't even know how we got here. Well, I don't know. We're. I can't even trace this. It's it's so far beyond time to move on. To a song of ice and fire. It's so far beyond time to move on. I can't even trace it back. Yeah, this is crazy. Trace it on back. <laughs> yep. Um, Brooke, you want to take us on to Tyrion? I do. Cripples and bastards and broken things, but the power of the mind can give you wings. Drinking and japing and yeah, ladies. Tyrion Lannister or Imp, if you please. Okay, so we start with everyone at the pier seeing off Myrcella, who, as we know, has been sold in the alliance with Dorne by her uncle Tyrion. Myrcella is brave, saying goodbye to a weeping Tommen and a bored Joffrey, but the, herself doesn't here at least Tyrion observes that this is bravery i observe it as her counting her blessings getting away from her crazy mother and brother of course the court seeing marcilla off means coming down out of the red keep and into the steaming human waste that is king's landing right now the common folk are starving it's gotten to the point where not even silver can buy food and the unrest is palpable through out the crowd gathered to watch them. Tyrion has cell swords scattered around, mingling with the crowd, ready to put their backs into it if trouble brews, and a double row of gold cloaks with spears lining the road. So, unfortunately, this barricade doesn't keep a coldly angry mother, 
her dead child held above her head from blocking Joffrey's way as they make uh, their way back up Aegon's high hill. It looks to Tyrion like Joffrey is going to run the woman down on his horse, but Sansa, who is riding beside Joffrey, leans over and says something to him. So Joffrey bounces a coin off of the child's corpse like the beloved ruler we've come to cherish, and when the woman still doesn't move, Cersei tells him to leave the woman because she is beyond help. And this sets the woman off, dropping the body of her child and screaming the shortened version of Stannis's proclamation at Cersei, which is mostly just, brother fucker! Wait, that was more like Australian. No, that was good. Just mostly just like, brother fucker! Brother fucker! And that was I, like, I'm enjoying it. Try again. Will you Get do up. another one? Another voice. Okay, New let voice. Me, let me try more Cockney. Brother fucker! Brother fucker! Okay. I picture I it, I picture it uh, to quote Matt's favorite, uh, The Princess Bride. Like the, yeah. the the woman in the Princess Bride who's screaming the old at, lady. at Princess Buttercup. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Totally. So bow down to her if you want. Bow to her. Bow to the Queen of Slime. The Queen of Filth. The Queen of Putrescence. Boo! Boo! Yeah. Let's hear it, Skid. Oh, I don't, what does she even say? I don't remember. Uh, on Princess Bride, she's like, Rubbish! Filth! Oh. Slime! Muck! Boo! <laughs> Boo! Boo! Rubbish! Filth! Slime! Boo! Kind of like that. Like that? Whoa! <laughs> you both have that, like, memorized! Well, I oh, just boy. repeated what Matt said. Well, Matt. Um, so, that happens. And then the dung starts to fly. So long story, he first offers gold to the crowd for the person who nailed him in the side of the head poor shit, and then sends Sandor Clegane in to kill whoever got fingered. Um, it's not a good situation, and everyone uh, books it right on back to the castle. Uh, they unfortunately lose a bunch of the court along the way, including the High Septon, uh, Sir Preston, Aaron Sandigar, uh, Loli's Lady Tanda's uninspiring daughter, the Hound, and Sansa. So everyone reading is getting their hopes up because not only does Tyrion slap Joffrey for being an idiot, he also kicks him, and Sansa might have escaped. So may the Seven rejoice. But alas, the Hound rides back in with Sansa, seated behind him on her horse, pretty much safe and sound. Tyrion is relieved because had they lost Sansa, Jaime is good as dead, still being a captive of Robb Stark's. Tyrion spends the next two days literally and figuratively putting out fires in King's Landing, unable to escape to see Shay. He does, however, send Shaga to watch over her. And the chapter ends with a little midnight snack with Faris and Bronn, featuring some sexy Bronn insolence. And the hinted suggestion that King's Landing, the realm, and Tyrion would be much better off if sweet, malleable Tommen were king instead of Joffrey. But Tyrion doesn't even consider this hinted suggestion, completely unwilling to slay his own blood, particularly Jamie's son. And that's the end of the chapter. So it got really real. Whoa! Super yeah. real. Yeah. And someone... Joffrey 
with Pooh, and it was great. It was fantastic. Yeah, so I would say that the, the thing that stands out most for me in this chapter is Tyrion really lost it on Joffrey at one point. When they get back to the castle, and Joffrey is foaming at the mouth for you know everyone to bring him the heads of the instigators in the riot, Tyrion doesn't even waste time trying to talk him out of it. Reaches like, up. No, slaps this is what's going to happen. Yeah. Kid. <laughs> has a long and glorious history of slapping Joffrey. And it always seems to work. Like, like Joffrey hasn't gotten used to it yet. <laughs> slaps him so hard he's on the ground and then kicks him. It was fabulous. <laughs> it was wonderful. <laughs> glorious thing to imagine. Yeah. Tyrion is fully aware of how inept Joffrey is, how corrupt he is, how much influence Cersei has over him, what a terrible king he's making, and he's making Tyrion look really bad at the same time, yet he doesn't even for a moment consider taking Joffrey out of the equation, which I think anybody else on the small council, except for Cersei, would if they uh, were in Tyrion's position. It's a weird scene to me. It, one, one that the, the very end that you're talking about there. Mm. What's the purpose of it? If not, I mean, I could guess maybe he's trying to paint Tyrion in a good light. Like, yes, it would be better. I'm not going to do it, so I'm a good person. But I don't really get what they're saying is pretty obvious. If Joffrey weren't in charge, it'd be better for everyone. It's not a not a huge revelation. But I don't know. The, I, don't, I don't really get what that scene's all about. Um, it might be more about Braun actually, and just setting uh, up. I was about to say. Yeah, go ahead, Matt, because I know that this is your your special character. No, you can you can finish. <laughs> but I did, I did love just Braun just sitting down and eating. Yeah. Hey, can I get some wine with this? Yeah. <laughs> it's like classic Braun. Great stuff. To me, it showed that that um, Braun may be reminding Tyrion in a funny way that the only control he has over him is through money Mm. like you're gonna keep paying me whether i eat your food or not and so here i am doesn't matter what i say i know you're gonna keep paying me i I think this is almost a reminder to Tyrion that while he does exercise a lot of authority and stuff that it's not complete do you know what i mean yeah, no, I know it reliance a lot on his position and stuff like that. I know exactly what you mean. And one might expect just from their past exchanges, because they do have like a similar sense of humor and and um Tyrion really relies on him, that Braun is probably only insolent to the point where he knows Tyrion will be amused and then never past that point. He's aware of where that line is. And it, it may be true that Braun is aware of where that line is, but he legitimately does not care if he crosses it. And I think that's that should be scary to Tyrion. Yeah. Because right? like, like you said, it's, Braun really has no no personal allegiance. It's all about the gold. It's a real challenge to the natural of order to the natural order of things that Tyrion expects will be followed. Mm. Right? That insolence. It is it is Yeah, it's starting to get to that point where Tyrion's starting to sink down into, I don't want to call it depression, but the bloom is kind of off the rose. Remember, it was only, how many Tyrion chapters ago was it that he was like on top of the world? Mm, yeah. Right? And he's like, I'm on top of the world. Yeah. <laughs> singing that song. I'm on top of the world. Yeah. I'm on top of the world. Yeah. 
like and, two chapters um, or something. Yeah, it wasn't long. Right, and now he's got this thought. Here's a thought on the last page of that chapter. My most trusted advisors are a eunuch and a sellsword, and my lady's a whore. What does that say of me? Yeah. Like, yeah, perhaps my lord father was right to despise me all these years if this is the best I can achieve. Tyrion needs a stiff jack. He he needs he needs a Jack and Coke, and he just sit well, down. Don't we all? I listened to Captain Jack today, uh, the the Billy Joel tune. Uh, it's my favorite Billy Joel tune, and uh, it's just it's basically just about like whatever your troubles are, get drunk. Mm-hmm. He'll get you through the night. Captain Jack. Captain Jack will get, get you through. You through yep, he'll get you high tonight too. That's what Tyrion's just like. This chapter has just been stressing him out every page of it, right? He just needs yeah. he needs a drink and to just relax yeah. the whole, and sit down. The Han Solo. I have a bad feeling about this. Yeah. I got a bad feeling about this. Yep. I think in the past, too, his self-esteem hasn't taken as much of a battering because he's always had the support system of Jamie there, mm-hmm. who likes and loves him unconditionally um, and and really appreciates Tyrion, but nobody does anymore. He's paying yeah. everyone one way or another. Yeah, nobody, he's not paying. Yeah. Which is really disheartening, I'm sure, for him and discouraging and makes every single step of cleaning up the city for a bunch of, like, unappreciative dung throwers so difficult. Yeah, how about the how about the treatment of those dung but, throwers, especially the lady? Yeah. Uh, she didn't throw dung, but the lady with her blue baby, just like cr- she's a crushed human, and they throw money at her and insult her. Mm. So, yeah, that's the thing is good on the small folk for finally flipping out. Yeah, like we see it from Tyrion's POV, so the small folk are kind of vilified a little bit, but. Man, these guys are getting crapped on big time. Mm. Like, if we were seeing this from the POV of the small folk, we'd be like, "Yeah, cut that those people up, like tear them down." <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Matt, imagine one of your children has just died from something that were treatable, where they're good conditions. And Brooke, imagine one of your cats. Right. Okay. And somebody throws a hundred dollars at you. How are you feeling? The the amount of rage and frustration and anger at how you would feel toward that person and how little they actually think this means to you, that they can just make you happy by throwing a silver coin at you, it's right. enraging. A hundred dollars probably isn't enough to for the ratio or whatever, but you get my point. Like, how do they think that's the right way to treat people? It's just completely dissociative disorder, right? Like, they, they can't, they have no concept of what regular life oh. is like. Common people right. are, are animals to them. Yeah, it's yep. awful. It's you know we talk about this all the time. And I'm sorry if it's it's beating it to death, but the plight of the small folk. It's just this isn't. They're not starving because of a drought or you know some 
event that is outside of the control of man. Like this is stuff where it is completely preventable. The whole reason food isn't coming into the city is because these lords, these highborn people are playing their Game of Thrones. And now there's, you know, they're stopping importing and exporting and all of this stuff and they're not getting food in. That's the whole reason these people aren't eating. And and it's maddening, mm-hmm. you know. Cut those dudes up. Mm-hmm. I thought of Rage Against the Machine again. Great line in the song, Calm Like a Bomb. They were definitely listening to some Rage Against the Machine, weren't they? The small folk just had it blaring. They say there's a right to obey and there's a right to kill. There's a strike in a lot of cops outside of the mill. There's a right to obey and there's a right to kill. And these people are to that point where they're like, yeah, we have the right to obey, but we also have the right to kill when we're being treated this way and mm. go for it. You know, I certainly don't condone raping a woman and tearing up a high septum and stuff, but I certainly don't blame them a whole lot for being upset either. No, well, also, like, I feel like, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to go into revolution, so go ahead. Van Halen and Matthew, Dave Matthews Band haven't come up yet, so <laughs> we're just making fun so, of so you keep guys. going. We're the hold steady. We're the hold steady. So we got Billy Joel. We got Billy Joel out of the way. We got Rage Against the Machine. Is it too much? Tell us if it's. Do we need an intervention? Maybe. I actually. Spoiler alert. We'll get this out of the way now. I have no lyrics from the hold steady for this episode. Oh, give it time. And there was much rejoicing. Episode ain't ain't over. (laughs) Um. So here's the thing. Usually in these sort of narratives of the common folk versus the nobility, there's like a leader among the common folk to rally around. And that's really missing here, or at least we're not privy to it. And so you you can't really blame them for just going crazy. Like it's, well, you can blame them, but it's, and it's not justified, but it is rationalized that they are just, they're the savages that they've become the savages that everybody thinks they are because they've just pushed been pushed to that limit and they don't really have it's just a free for all everyone for themselves yeah that's a really good point there is no banner to rally to there's no yeah. figurehead that we know of just king bread like they coin the phrase they coin in the chapter king bread yeah. uh, i can't really all... take credit for that thought because it's kind of Tyrion's in an upcoming chapter but it's really prevalent here that they are just yeah. angry. Yeah. Yeah. In Rome, they, you know, bread and circuses, right? It's the phrase referring to, to Rome and how they kind of kept their population under control and, um, you know, keep the people happy with distractions and keep them fed and you can stay in power. Mm, kind of like what's happening right now in our real world. Yeah. Don't get me started. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... We're part of it. Okay, one more. We're part of the circuses. We're feeding people with yeah. entertainment to distract them. I, yeah. I quit. I'm not going to be Don't a part of about this. The wor- Don't worry <laughs> about the real world. Just listen to us talk about fictional books. Yes. <laughs> Drop your podcasting mic like a real mic. <laughs> I'm out. Walk away. Mic drop. Scad's gone. We just keep going. Yeah. We're part of the machine. Uh, there's, you know, 100 Twitter followers that can take up my mantle tomorrow. No scabs, you're irreplaceable. Irreplaceable. Yeah. Uh, um, I wanted to before we move on. I wanted to mention the Stone Crows' reaction to Tyrion asking them to go get Shaga. 
<laughs> I love it. There, so so the setting is mob fires starting, absolute chaos. Tyrion asks one of them to go get Shaga, and he says, "Stone crows do not run squeaking after burned men." <laughs> He's like, no way, man. That's not how I do things. I don't care what tragedy you're dealing with. I'm not going. He does, He's actually going after he, Timid. I'm sorry, but same concept. He doesn't. He doesn't yell at him either. He's just like, uh He just thinks to himself, "I forgot who I was dealing yeah, with." Yeah, Terry's like, "Oh, that's a totally <laughs> acceptable response, given who you yeah. are and how unreasonable you are." Yeah. <laughs> I will. I will kick around the king. I will beat him down to the ground. But you refuse me. Well, I'll get something. I'll figure out it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, just one other thing I want to mention before we move on that I kind of left out of my summary because I thought we were going to talk about it. Um, Tyrion learns, or at least he mentions that he has learned that Cersei has a little scheme of her own going on, Mm -hmm. a little sellsword scheme, similar to what Tyrion has already established with his his... copycat. Yeah. Yeah. They operate in very Um, similar ways, eh? Well, she tries. Yeah, I mean, she has some uh, a family of brothers of sellswords called the Kettlebecks under her control, or so she thinks, because in fact, Braun is pay- matching every gold coin that she gives them. Just done. want to bring that up. Yeah. Go, so if you guys each got Sorry. to bring up something quick. I'm gonna bring up one more thing too. Do you notice that one of the ships that's taking Marcello away was called Lady Liana? Gotta be named after Liana Stark, right? Mm. No, I figured it was I named what... after someone else. Well, yeah. I, I didn't at all. <laughs> um, what do you think, Sarah? It was like when she found out Robert was named for the ship's Lady Lena. She was like, mm. yeah. She didn't care at that point. Another mark in the ledger? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, when you're the king, you have so many warships, you got to start naming them after, like, nobodies, don't you? <laughs> Yeah, she probably saw that happen and then, like, aborted another one of his children yeah. or slept extra hard with Jamie. <laughs> slept extra hard! <laughs> yes! If I had two ships, I'd name them Scad and Brookles. Thanks, buddy! I'd name mine after my kids, but maybe you guys would be three and four. <laughs> not me. Uh, not after tonight. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Should we jump to Davos? Mm-hmm. Davos! Our second Davos chapter! Yeah, just I love to be Davos. clear, listeners, this is not Davos After Dark, our segment where we get spoilery. This is literally a Davos. What asshole thought up the name of this podcast? God damn. Sir Davos chapter. Sir, Sir Davos. Sir ja- Davos Seaworth is what I imagine he sounds like. You and the voices tonight. Thanks. Yeah! Well His impressions are awesome. Yeah, he definitely sounds like he's from Newfoundland. All right. Davos Salting map. Where is Newfoundland? Oh, come on. Are you are you being serious right I'm now? I'm a dumb American, Brooke. We don't know anything oh, about any countries man. but our own. Oh, that's okay, so cool. Okay, Brooke. Do you know where Wyoming is? Yeah, it's right below me. If I Crap. started walking south right now, I'd hit it after two states. Well, Crap. one state. What about Tennessee? Yes, it's in the south. Never mind. That's all I got. You know where those two are. You I don't even. Oh, do you guys know where none of it is? I've heard of none of it. I don't know where anything is. Does none of it count as none of it? Oh, man. Tell me this. Do you know where Quebec is? Yeah, that's yes. the one that's uh, Frenchy French. 
only because it's former uh the well the Colorado Avalanche used to be the Quebec Nordiques. Oh. And the Colorado Avalanche are my favorite hockey team. That's so. fair. That's fair. That's the only way that I know that. I know where Calgary is. I know where Alberta is. Only <laughs> because you've had to watch it in dread on one of those little airplane seat monitors where the little plane just Speeding like closer. across. And you're like, oh. Here Listen, we go. I can name almost every single country in the world, but I don't know anything about the states or cities within them. Can you? Yeah, really? I, that's a very lofty. United States, Canada, Mexico, Panama, Haiti, Jamaica, Peru, Republic Dominican, Cuba, Caribbean, Greenland, El Salvador, too. Puerto Rico, Colombia, Venezuela, Honduras, Guyana, and still Guatemala, Bolivia, then Argentina, and Ecuador, Chile, Brazil, Costa Rica. Colombia, Could you Venezuela, identify 100. them? Most of them, yeah. On a map, I think so. Yeah, I think so. I cheated though. Oops, I uh, Animaniacs. Like, I was a huge Animaniacs right. fan in my youth, and. uh Memorize that song. No, it's brilliant. Yeah, it's a great show. Were we going to move on to Davos right now? Okay, Davos chapter. Eyes are crying from the onions in the hold. Save steady boy, save steady boy. Finger bones in a bag mean the truth will be told. Steady Davos, steady Davos. So we've got ourselves a good old-fashioned Westerosi standoff. On one side, Stannis with a wide retinue of knights and lords, including many who had once been fighting for Renly not long ago, as well as our namesake, dearest Davos. And on the other side is one man, Storm's End Castellan Sir Courtney Penrose, alone, aging, weathered, and about as delightfully quick on the zinger draw as one can be. I love Courtney Penrose. <laughs> he is one of the coolest characters in the book. Mm. The fact that we only get one chapter of him is just tragic. Mm. Throughout their joust of words, which revolves a bit around who killed Renly and the suspect loyalty of the lords and knights present, but mostly around Stannis's terms that in exchange for the castle and young Edric Storm, remember he's Rod, Robert's bastard, the defenders can all depart in peace. And we are treated to pure gold from Courtney, whose retorts we can perhaps get into later, but the long and the short of it is he ain't yielding nothing. He's not giving anything up to Stannis. Uh, his only counteroffer is to attempt to insult Stannis and his men into accepting a trial by combat. But Stannis, as staunch as ever, refuses and departs amidst Courtney's warnings that Storm's End isn't a castle that's going to go down easily. And uh, a bit ironically, Stannis knows this better than anyone, having held the castle himself a few years back. So Stannis, who seems haggard, weary, and physically weaker to Davos, then goes into a private conversation with Davos in his tent, seeking his advice and opinion on what to do. Davos tries just about every method he can to steer Stannis away from the bloodbath that would accompany an outright storming but Stannis still seems nonplussed. He's going to take this castle, although he won't reveal his plan quite yet uh, to Davos. So during this private chat, we're treated to a rather humanizing look at Stannis through Davos's eyes, and I really enjoyed this part of the chapter. He says, speaking of his brother and the peach, uh, Stannis expresses a certain amount of sadness that Renly died, saying, but I did love him, Davos. I know that now. I swear I will go to my grave thinking of my brother's peach. That, that, that brought a little tear to, to old Maddie's eye here. <laughs> Probably made Brooke weep uncontrollably. 
it was actually it's just a little awkward thinking of my brother's peach like it's so easily like a euphemism that's true that is very true <laughs> <clears throat> however rather ominously he also reveals to davos that he knows exactly how renly died including such details as women screaming and the color of his tent even though when all this went down stannis was tucked snug in his bed he, he dreamt it and in a puzzling move that makes one ask why he even solicited Davos's opinion in the first place, he then begins to hint at his actual plan. The actual plan involves Davos landing a small boat beneath the castle. Not all that different from his onion run 16 years ago. In his company would be Melisandre, and she would do the rest. Davos just has to get her under the castle. So ever dutiful, yet concerned all the same, Davos reluctantly agrees to do his king's bidding. And in the company of his BFF Melisandre, and under the cover of night, Davos stealthily sail sails into a secretish tunnel on the seaside of Storm's End, placing he and Mel within the walls of the castle and kind of under it in this underground kind of cavern place. This is necessary, Melisandre mentions, as the walls possess magical properties that whatever she's planning to do cannot penetrate. So they had to get past those walls and actually sort of within the castle for her to do what she's about to do. And here's where it gets a little weird. When Davos is all like, okay, you crazy, what do we do next? Melisandre throws off her ro robe, revealing she's butt naked underneath. And even more so, she's pregnant all of a sudden. But wait, we're just getting started. She then spreads the old legs and begins to give birth to a freaking shadow monster. Uh, let's, let's go ahead and read that. Is panting, she squatted and spread her legs. Blood ran down her thighs, black as ink. Her cry might have been agony or ecstasy or both. And Davos saw the crown of the child's head push its way out of her. Two arms wriggled free, grasping black fingers, coiling around Melisandre's straining thighs, pushing until the whole of the shadow slid out into the world and rose taller than Davos, tall as the tunnel towering above the boat. He had only an instant to look at it before it was gone, twisting beneath the bars of the portcullis and racing through the surface of the water. But that instant was long enough. He knew that shadow as he knew the man who'd cast it. And that is the end of a very entertaining but very freaky chapter. Freaky deaky. Yeah, soups. Freaky deaky. Um, should we just go ahead and talk about uh, Shadow Baby first? Yeah. Sure. You gotta give Melisandre this. She has showmanship. <laughs> Flinging off the robe. Naked! Yeah. Watch this. <laughs> yeah, I think what really, like, tipped it over the edge for me is she wasn't just, like, birthing a baby, which... Typically, it's just you know, like a like a sliding, goobery, little wriggly thing coming out. But the baby like used its hands to like push itself mm -hmm. out of her womb, and you're like, no, <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> oh. yeah. But uh, okay. it like crawls out, right? It, like yeah, cries itself from her labia. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's creepy. Yeah, really yeah. It it was it was an interesting read the first time for sure. But it 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 lends some. I mean, it, we're assuming a little bit, I guess. But it, it lends some more detail to what Cat and Brienne saw 
in the Renly chapter, because you assume it's similar or the same thing, right? So I'm interested in in Stannis, the, the quote-unquote dream uh, about Renly's death, and I think it's more the I think I think there's a piece of Stannis in there, like experiencing it that returns to him at the end or something, like it's a part of his I don't know soul or something that's in there, right? It's what it kind of feels like to me. Oh yeah, for sure. And is there any mm, is there any question? Do we need to not spoil who the shadow uh, is recognized as by Davos? Oh, I think it's pretty obvious. He knew that shadow as he knew the man who'd cast it. In the last one, well, like for one thing, shadow with Renly. Yeah, Davos doesn't think about anyone else. He's Stannis's man all the way. Yeah, sure. So there can only really be he that that shadow could look like his own mother, and you'd be like, looks kind of like Stannis. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) It's like ink blot test for Davos. Stannis. Stannis. Stannis, Stannis sitting in a chair, Stannis with a banana, Stannis. Honestly, he has seven sons, and he really only thinks of them in the context of how they can serve Stannis. Well, like captaining boats or being their, his squire or whatever. Like, I, I don't have the proof here in front of me, but I feel like if you go back and read his narrative, it's very obvious that in, in the name well, Stannis all the time. Stannis. Well, in the very One first... of the youngest is named Stannis. In the... Yeah. In the very first chapter we get of Davos, the very first chapter of, of this book, Clash of Kings, he talks a lot about about how Stannis has afforded his children the opportunity and that everything he's doing for Stannis is about his children. I think he's got good motives for his kids underneath and cares very deeply about them. But he knows that Stannis is the straw that stirs the drink, if you will, right? He's got to keep that guy happy to keep those kids having these opportunities that they've got. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. And I don't know about you guys. Tell me if you feel the same way. And again, I don't have a lot to substantiate this, but I feel like Stannis told Davos about his plan, took Davos aside, made Davos, well, partly go with Melisandre, almost like to test his conscience. Because Stannis feels yes. like he is not responsible for these deaths, but probably in the back of the mind, he knows that he is. Right. Yeah. I kind of, the, the note that I took from that, and and I think it's in a similar vein to what you're saying is because I mentioned in my summary that it's kind of weird that he asked Davos's opinion. And then after he's like, well, thanks, but here's what we're going to do. Almost like he was trying to see if Davos could think of some other way. I, I, I didn't take it as a, a test of his conscience, but a test of his loyalty. I think he knows Davos's conscience is revolting at this. I think he's still he still oh, yeah. believes that Davos's loyalty will take him beyond his conscientious objections, and I think he's testing that. Hmm. I I almost read it as Stannis is uncomfortable doing this still. Oh, I think he is because too. it's it's very unStannis, and that's what's kind of weird is. Stannis is all super honorable and mm. he won't even face him in, in single combat. He won't accept that, but he <sighs> will sneak in a shadow baby. I had some friends uh, about 10 years ago and a uh, guy and a girl, they broke up. And uh, after breaking up, they continued to hang out. He was my roommate at the time. Continued to hang out, continued to hang out, sleeping together, hanging out. 
acting very much like a couple, insisting at every opportunity and party that we all went to or whatever that they were broken up. And I took him aside and I said, look, it doesn't matter what you say. It matters what you do. And and so I, I, I hear what you're saying about this is very unstannis. And I agree that mm-hmm. it's very unstannis for what he says he's about. But if you're willing to do this twice, that is who you are, not what you say you are. Exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Completely. It's showing the lengths that he's able, he's willing to go to in order to achieve what he thinks is his. Yeah. By right. Yeah, I, I, I like Stannis, and I, I don't, I'm, my like, it, it, I, I think more than any character in this universe, he has me at opposite ends. Because I love so much of what he's about, and the righteousness, and the, you know, what he deserves, and, and doing it, you know, he says he's doing it for the people, and the that he owes it to them and, and all these things. But at the same time, his actions, they're, they're not really forgivable in a lot of ways. And, and they're very underhanded and, and, and not great. So I, he just mm. has me at opposite ends of the scale all the time. I love it. I love it. Do you think it's, he's... That's a sign of a brilliant character. Most men are mm. gray. Oh, well done, Matt. Do you think he's sleeping with Melisandre? I think it's implied, at least. I, I mean... The the fact that we've said we think there's a part of him in those shadow babies, and the fact that the baby is actually coming from the birth canal implies that, from what we know of human interaction, that he would have had to do that. Yeah, I, I mean, know, but it's completely at odds with everything that you just described, like his yeah. his 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 principles and yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. But I think I think I think he must. I mean, there's the bit in there about only the red lady can soothe him to sleep. And I, mm-hmm. I just laughed out loud. I was like, I'm soothing to sleep. All right. All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Know what that is. All um, over. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> um, I think he is. Yeah. More on this in Davos After Dark. Yeah. I wanted to say, oh, I have a word of the day. Word of the day! Yeah. Going back to one of Matt's favorite characters. To Penrost. <laughs> to skewer the opposition with witty barbs. One-liners of malicious intent while facing certain defeat. To Penrost. That's pretty good. We'll have to use that one. He, I wanted to talk about him next because he's fantastic. Yeah, he's, he's so awesome. funny. And at first, when I was imagining him saying some of those lines, I imagined him like really angry and like, may the others bugger your Lord of Light and wipe his arse with that rag you bear. Just like really overdramatic and stuff. But then when I was reading more about him and it described him, and now this is stuck with me forever, and hopefully it'll, hopefully it'll be stuck with you now. It talked about him being balding, but his hair was red, and he's got like a red goatee and stuff. Oh, no. So guess who I immediately thought Louis of? Louis C.K. <laughs> yes, Louis C.K. <laughs> and so now I picture him being Louis C.K. And read, those, <laughs> read some of those insults as Louis C.K. It's wonderful. That's perfect. Read it in his voice. Just like dry. And cast it in the same fire where you left your manhood? Just imagine (laughs) him saying stuff like that. Are you afraid I'll piss on your burning sword and put it out? (laughs) (laughs) Oh. He's great. That's that's wonderful. Yeah, I I just love his uh, contempt for the whole thing. Oh, yeah. This is ridiculous. Yeah. 
Uh, Still not giving it up, though. He's he's going to hold on to Edric and and everything for yeah. reasons that we don't really know. Anything else in this chapter? Uh, one more, just tiny little bit. Well, do I want to start a fight or not? I'll just go. Okay. I'll just I'll just go with the other one. So, uh, I love Stannis's bit where he's talking about bringing uh, Sir Courtney Penrose's father out, and oh, yeah. and Davos says. He's old. He's failing. And Stannis says, I would he would fail more visibly. <laughs> he wants to basically parade him out in front of his son and put him out there and die in front of him in order to, uh, I don't know, convince him to give up the castle. I'd like him to fail more visibly. <laughs> it was wonderful. Oh, Stannis. Stannis and my sense of humor, they're, uh, they're right in line. Ew, he likes to sprinkle salt in his water. Yeah, I was yeah. And they use they use the most benign clay cups instead of like nice chalices or goblets. It reminded me of Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones? Yeah. yeah. Why did he sprinkle the salt? Is that a He likes it. Oh. I kinda remembered though that Renly's peach and the stark contrast between the sweet and the bitter. Mm. That's interesting. Hmm. Anyways, so you don't want to start a fight, Skad? Because now I'm kind of intrigued. Uh, two men, two separate men, indicate that it was obvious that Brienne was in love with Renly. That's all. Never mind. I take it back. <laughs> oh, two separate men indicated that it was obvious. Yeah, it's uh, true. Mm, if you're going to play that card, I have no defense. I, I, that's right. I won't even fight if that's the card you I don't, feel comfortable I'm like, playing. I'm actually like bored with the argument now. All right, that's what happens when you lose. You get bored with the I'll argument. I'll concede. <laughs> it's not losing. <clears throat> All right, Scad, want to take us to John? Yeah, that was awkward. All right, uh, John, cue music. Where we're going up north, where the winter's cold and the icicles bloom like the bluest rose. We haven't met his mom, but we love his wolf. He's John Snow. Okay. A single horn blast rings through the night, and the brothers wait in nervous silence for another fateful blast. But no blast comes, and all that does is core an afhand. If the reader recalls, they set out from the wall. This is uh, Mormont's party. Set out from the wall with 200 men. With plans to meet another 100, Corrin's men, that would join them from the Shadow Tower. So, as Corrin arrives, John's prepping food and, and then goes to welcome Corrin through through the uh, line of pikes. Corrin is a tall, straight, solemn man with two fingers on one hand, the other three falling victim to a wildling's axe. He's defending his face from being uh, taken apart. So Corrin uh, said that they met a group uh, of wildlings on their way over, uh, on their way over here uh, under the command of Alphen Crowkiller, uh, and they happen to learn a little bit about what the wildlings are doing uh, up in the Frostfangs. So while he waits for the food to finish, John relates a story that he overheard. Some of the men talking about what a folly the ranging is that they ought to go back, even threatening the old bear's command under their breath. Something John was certainly not supposed to hear. He rushes off, serves the food uh, in the tent with Mormont and Corrin, and listens to the tale. So apparently, uh, one of Crowkiller's men 
indicates that the Wildlings have a mass army. Giants, wargs, thousands of men. It's not good news. But, you know, the Black Brothers, they don't want to just flee. So they decide they're going to send ravens out uh, to the Wall and to all the kings of men in hopes that someone catches on that this is a big deal and decides to send someone to help uh, defend the Wall. We then learn how Mormont would plan to defend the Wall. Expand the number of castles, twice daily patrols, rely on the Wall to slow down the Wildlings, only to be told by the Halfhand, don't worry about it. The Wildlings are planning to break through the Wall. Sorcery? Berserker, Two Towers, Loader style? Who knows? But that is why they have gathered in the Frostfangs. They're searching for something, they, some, some source of power that they need in order to break through the Wall. So to solve the mystery, they elect to send three teams of five to scout the Frostfangs and gather intel, and John is among them. The rest will wait for this information, or for the Wildlings, or some other event, at the first at the Fist of the First Men. At worst, buying time for the rest of the realm to prepare for this invasion. And that is the end of the chapter. I keep coming back to just... As intense as this chapter is, with all the stuff we learn about the Wildlings and they're amassing an army and they're going to bust down the fucking wall. I just keep remembering that it's all just a red herring. <laughs> the others are the enemy here. <laughs> and I know we've talked about this before, so maybe we don't want to belabor it too much, but they're just so... They're like a baby with a shiny object. They're just so easily distracted by these wildlings when, like, the real shit is right out there beyond where you're sitting. And by they, we mean J.R. Mormont. Yes, J.R. Mormont. And, and, and you know, you hear, it's kind of interesting, there's that little bit with uh, John overhearing the conversation with some of the other uh, some of the other Black Brothers. It's thrown in there, and it's, you know, it's like one paragraph or two uh, in the middle of this chapter, and uh, I think it's in there to offset, to be like, look, these, these guys think it's fucked up. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. that the, they're out here. Some Somebody thinks it's wrong. Um, you know, so they're not all, they're not all completely misled. You, you find yourself almost agreeing with the people that are trying to disobey the command, right? Maybe it is time to go back. It's just, uh, I feel like, how many people could the, the lands beyond the wall support? Like, uh, why, like you said, why are they so fixated on the wildlings when, like, they shouldn't even... Yeah, be an issue technically. Yeah, yeah we, but... we've talked before about the iron, the ironborn uh, invading Winterfell and like not having enough men to like really, really take it. Like they could be there for a little bit, but like what would they do with the land? The wildlings would uh, spread across Westeros. There'd be like one every eighty miles. I mean, it, you know, <laughs> like what would they do? You know? Yeah, it's weird. I guess maybe the. The Night's Watch, which were originally put up on the wall to protect the West of Westeros from the others, because the others were so inactive for so long, yeah. really just made, like, lost lost the scope of why the wildlings were the enemy. Yeah. Yeah, you, you deal with the you know, problems they that are... Stuff, but... Yeah, you deal with the problems that are more immediate, right? It's mm. just yep. natural. That's true. Mm -hmm. I don't, like getting like my said. kids to clean their room today like it was <laughs> this isn't completely the same thing but not completely know, long term i want them to i want my two-year-old to learn how to clean his room himself because that's you know instill a value of be responsible for your stuff and clean up and all that stuff 
but it's just so much easier to just clean it up for him than to try to make him do it. Yes. You know, <laughs> I was going to say, if he did it himself, you have all my respect because you're a way better parent than I am. Oh my gosh. Do your children just all live in squalor? What's going on? No, they're just not yeah. disciplined. And like, it's just, it's really hard to like get them to do these things on a regular basis. I, it's hard to explain. The parents out there understand me, I think. But uh, when it's so much easier to just do it yes. yourself a lot of times, mm. you're standing, like you you're literally standing at the toy mind. pointing at it and be like, pick this up, pick this up and put it in the, you could do this in two seconds yourself. And you're just like yep. coming to frustration and anger about it. Like, why won't he just do it? It's mm. just, it's not worth your stress. And, <laughs> but you want to teach them too. And it's, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Don't you guys wish they'd bring spanking back? Because I know how we cleaned up our toys. Whoa, wait. <laughs> We're not supposed to spank? Yeah, that went away. Oh, I, I didn't know. I'm bringing spanking back. <laughs> All right. Uh, the introduction of Corrin Halfhand, who seems uh, like a straight up badass. Oh, cool. Yeah, he says uh, one thing he said. I'm going to read a bit from him in a minute, but one thing he just says is we can only die. When suggesting, like, you shouldn't go, it's dangerous. Like, ah, we can only die. What else can happen? Yeah, like, that's what we're, that's why we're here. But, Great, dude. Yeah, I want to read this bit, because I think it's awesome. It's just hardcore. Be like, we shall all die, then. Our dying will buy time for our brothers on the wall. Time to garrison the empty castles and free shut the gates. Time to summon lords and kings to their aid. Time to hone their axes and repair their catapults. Our lives will be coin well spent. Awesome. Big picture kind of guy. Yeah, huge Damn. picture. The kind of guy you might want to lead the Night's Watch, maybe. Mm. But is it, wish, is it wishful thinking a little bit? Like, there's 300 Night's Watchmen out there right now. How many could be back at cast at, at the wall? Uh, their yeah, numbers are already we so knew, few. We knew they were under 1,000 before they left. So right. yeah, he's like he's like well, the other guys will just carry on without us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> For yeah. Garrison the empty castles minus three hundred, and they I took the be- kind of the best ones with them. I think. Yeah, yeah. Eh, seems anyway. that way. <clears throat> yeah. um, maybe he's counting on the fact that <laughs> there'll always be criminals coming to them. They actually maybe. mentioned that in the chapters, like, well, rapists and thieves and poachers. Alistair Thorne will be back with with fresh recruits to man the wall. Mm. <laughs> How many? Twelve. <laughs> like, yeah. Anyway, mm. uh, so kind of kind of some cool stuff in this chapter, but uh, I don't know. I don't have a whole lot else to say about it. Um, it's a short one. Yeah, they're gonna go. They're gonna go track the wildlings, see what they're trying to do. An interesting mystery. They're looking for something. Don't really know what. Uh, the wildlings mm. are looking for something in the mountains, um, some key to getting through the wall. Um, I don't know. Mm. It's is the is the mission to go gather information. Seems what are they going to do? Like actually go find woman, find find them and question them. I guess seems dangerous. I guess they don't have a lot of other options. That's got to be uh, cool for uh, John. Yeah, like a, a little a little bit of a self esteem <laughs> boost when. When Jailer's like, who do you want to take with you? And Corn's like, John. <laughs> doesn't even hesitate. He's like, I want that kid. Yeah, there's there are two things about right. that. John doesn't doesn't waste a heartbeat. Like, yes, yeah. I want to go. Um so he's interested in the adventure. But Corn says some some subtly interesting things just about the land and the Starks 
and you know that that the land might respond to John. Uh, you know, the old gods are there, and the Starks maybe have power. Kind of, it's mm. kind of implied. I mean, yeah, you can see he's got a, a respect bordering on reverence. Yeah, and almost mm. it, it almost felt bordering on he felt supernatural to mm-hmm. me. You know, like I don't know. Blood of the First Men. It's not out of the realm of possibility, as we've seen with other bloods. Yep, yeah, true. Speaking of blood, squirting the blood from his severed fingers yeah. into the wildling's <laughs> eyes who chopped yeah. off his hand, his yes. fingers. Yep. That is awesome. <laughs> Use whatever uh, you got. Badass. That is so cool. Yeah. Oh, that was a quick one. That was a catch-up chapter. Um, we done with John? Anything else? Nope. All right, Brooke, take us to our second Tyrion chapter then. Cripples and bastards and broken things, but the power of the mind can give you wings. Drinking and japing and yeah, ladies, Tyrion Lannister or Imp if you please. Okay, so the chapter opens with some interesting info from Tyrion's little spy minion, Lancel. Apparently, Cersei is sending Tommen away disguised as a page to be protected by Sir Giles in his holding called Rosby. Tyrion actually thinks this is a pretty good idea, but it needs to be on Tyrion's terms. So he dispatches his loyal Jacqueline Bywater, Jacqueline Bywater, and with 50 men to intercept the Lord Giles and take them on to Rosby. So once there, oh, but this is, Tyrion is telling Bronn to tell Jacqueline that, but He's also giving Braun a letter to give to Jasmine with orders to um, head ooh, on the Rose Road or something else, a different road out of the city. So if this letter falls into the hands of, say, Varys or Littlefinger, if he ever makes it back, then they won't know that Tyrion is behind the Tommen's capture. So anyways, um, once Jasmine catches up with this little party on their way to Rosby. He is to take them into the castle, expel the garrison that is apparently there and take over the holding, becoming the new Lord, which is also something you can apparently do because Tyrion doesn't care anymore. Tyrion is like full fledged honey badger. He don't give a shit. He just takes what he wants. Nice pull. He really is at this point. So speaking of taking what he wants, off to Shay he goes, skipping the detour through Chitaya's and just riding straight to Shay's clean-smelling bosom, which to me is a red flag, just letting down his guard, but we can talk more about that later. After Tyrion and Shay doodly-doo, Lord Varys shows up disguised as a begging brother. Tyrion has no idea it's Varys under the ragged clothes and scabby feet and hideous stench. But Shay is like, hey, your friend Barry's is here for a play date. Just like as casual as you please, surprising Tyrion and frustrating Varys, who is super proud of his stealth. Varys is there to bring news of Stannis's defeat over Courtney Penrose. Sorry, guys, Courtney is dead. And Tyrion is not happy about the Ooh. news. Yeah. He was counting on Stannis being busy with sieging Storm's End for a long time, at least half a year. And Tyrion's thoughts, as always, go to Shay and her safety, and he develops a rough plan to sneak her into King's Landing, um, 
sorry, into the Red Keep as a pot washer. Shay, used to living like a pampered lady, is not up for this and suggests that Tyrion just keep her as a lover instead. But Tyrion knows that means disobeying his father's orders to not bring Shay to court. And Shay, foolishly, tries the tactic of goading Tyrion into standing up to his father, asking what Tywin would do, spank Tyrion? And Tyrion, unfortunately, slaps her for mocking him. Tells her never to mock him, not her. So, illusion that she is perfect may be cracking a little bit. So, to emphasize just how much Tywin should be feared, Tyrion tells Shay about his ex-wife Tysha, and then immediately regrets it, knowing that it will make Tyrion look even weaker in Shay's eyes. But fortunately for Shay, when Tyrion instructs Varys to follow through on the pot-washing plan, Varys suggests instead that Shay become a handmaiden for poor Lollies, who has been shut up in her room since she was found wandering naked and confused, having been brutally assaulted by at least 50 men after the riot uh, uh, during Marcella's um, bon voyage. So Tyrion likes this plan, and they move on to the details of Courtney Penrose's death. And it must be a night of confessions, because Varys suspects magic was used. The old magic. And explains that he considers it a distinct possibility, since when Varys was castrated, rod and tackle, by the way, everything went, in a fire sacrifice... It summoned a mystic voice through the flames, and he remembers this fairly clearly, even though he was drugged at the time. So Tyrion is still skeptical, and Varys accepts his skepticism in a sort of like an, oh, well, never mind. Yep, it must have been a skilled assassin kind of way before delivering more news to Tyrion. Basically, there is no hope in the Dornishman doing more than po- like posing a, a fake threat to the lords in the Stormlands, that they will never actually march, and they're doing that in exchange for, as, for Myrcella as a hostage. And Littlefinger is missing, and they don't have confirmation that he ever made it to Bitterbridge to treat with the Tyrells. So the chapter ends with some classic Tyrion dark humor. He knows that King's Landing and the throne are screwed and there's no dashing Kingslayer or noble Renly for the people to gather around and put their hope in. There's just Tyrion and everyone hates him. And that's where the chapter ends. Oh boy, Tyrion. Oh, Tyrion. (laughs) Yeah. So um, that little scheme that I mentioned at the beginning of the summary with squiring or sneaking Tommen off disguised as a page and giving Jacqueline Bywater a lordship in the meantime. Braun heard about this plan. He was actually up for doing it himself because he loved to be Lord Braun. Yeah. <laughs> but Tyrion, knowing that Braun would have no problem doing something terrible or taking advantage or taking Tommen hostage, was like, nope, that's okay. I need you here. Because he just really doesn't trust Braun. So that, that trust has really been, ever since Braun hinted at killing Joffrey, has really been damaged. Um, and yeah. what do you think about sending Jacqueline Bywater away? Because Tyrion has become very reliant on him. Like, who's going to replace him in the, the City Watch? 
Yeah, quick turnaround on the Braun Trust. First of all, that's really fast to me. Uh, this is a guy that he, I don't know, seemed to trust quite a bit as long as the money was coming through. Um, well, and that's it. Remember, Braun said, um, remember that back in Game of Thrones, it reminds me of uh, when they found out that Cersei was having all of Robert's bastards killed. And he asked Braun, would you ever do that yeah. immediately without thinking? Would you kill a baby if you were ordered to? And he said, immediately, no. First, I'd ask how much, mm. you know, how much would I get? And that's just kind of how Braun is. Good memory. Tyrion knows that. I've yeah, got all of Braun's chapters memorized. <laughs> he also told in that same chapter, I think, that you're quoting, he also said, always remember, no matter what anyone is willing to offer you, I'll pay you more. And Braun says, okay. So Hence, Braun is still around. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I, I don't, to be honest, I don't really get the whole Rosby plot uh, on the whole. It sounds like he liked Cersei's idea of getting Tommen out. It sounds like the more attention he's going to bring to that happening, the worse it is, the more people might find out that something like that happened. What, what is he really gaining by doing this? I don't. I feel like yeah. I'm extremely it, obtuse about this, but sorry, I'm like, why are you I, I doing this? I did not this? explain it very well. Yeah, so now that Tommen is away from King's Landing and away from Cersei, Tyrion, by putting Jacqueline Bywater you know, in, the, in Rosby... Um, and taking it over now has complete control over Tommen. So if anything right. does happen to Joffrey, Tommen is Tyrion's. So I guess, just, so I guess you're implying just Tyrion that... not wanting to tie off any. He's just him wanting to tie off all loose ends and maintain control over everything that he can. He doesn't really trust he agrees the Tommen should be I out guess. of the city. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's Cersei's plan initially, so Cer they would be beholden to Cersei, and he can't have that. Tyrion just can't have that. He's got to be in charge of everything, have his finger in everything, so uh, that he can kind of control the situation. Yeah, it just, it just seems far. It just seems a bridge too far. It's like, you're going to kidnap your nephew, potentially cause, you know, danger to him by maybe creating a conflict, when you actually agree with the idea of getting him out, and now, instead of it being subterfuge and him kind of, like, hiding out and maybe people not knowing where they are... Now it's like there's this skirmish and the tails... I don't know. It just seems... It seemed odd to me. The whole thing struck me as very odd. I get the control thing, I guess. I think he's still going to keep it quiet. I'm certainly trying to. Uh. Well, one could say that that's not the only, uh, dare we say, mistake oh, that yeah. Tyrion makes in this chapter. Yeah. There's a number of things that just go, Tyrion, what are you doing, man? Yeah. He, that show that maybe things are starting. We started to see it a little bit in the previous Tyrion chapter, and we're seeing more of it now of things maybe starting to unravel a little bit. Maybe starting to lose his grip. He's got. He's he's gone through great pains to set up the relationships, find the secret passage, get the whole stable situation set up so that he can get a horse to get out and be in disguise. He's gone to great lengths to set that all up, and he's just like, ah, fuck it. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to ride there directly. Meh. And we talked about this in a previous chapter that Tyrion seems so in control except when it comes to Shay. Yeah. And now the Shay part, he was always able to kind of keep that in check, but now the Shay part is starting to, to to take over more to the point that he's willing to skip everything and ride right out to her. I thought letting uh, Simon Silvertongue even see him was a huge mistake that he wouldn't have made, you know, previously. Mm-hmm. Like, if he knows someone else is in there, he hears a voice or, or the guard. How did he find out, like, the guard says that there's some singer here? 
Yeah. Isn't that how he finds out first? I'd be like, get that guy out before I come in because I can't be seen here. Instead, Tyrion just waltzes right in. Yeah. And then lets him leave. If you're going to waltz right in, kill him or something so that he can't talk. (laughs) These books have changed you. But really? Yeah. But Shay shouldn't be having that guy in anyway. I I think part of part of what you said before is true, too, that Shay used to be kind of like the thing that he could kind of uh, was always controlled and under his, you know, under his kind of. I'll say under his thumb, that doesn't sound right, but, you know, his, his to, to control. And she's, she's a bit of a loose cannon in this chapter, not what he's used to, right? I'm not saying she's wrong necessarily, like a girl deserves some entertainment, but it's not what he wants. And she's, she's exercising some free will and not, you know, not behaving the way he wants, the way he might be thinking he's paying her to behave, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on here. And then him slapping her, yeah. uh, him yeah. telling her about Taisha. Yeah. Um, there's just, it just seems like things are starting to. Even him agreeing to her working as Lily's handmaiden or whatever. Yeah. That's going to, that's going to just set them up for opportunities for trouble because like if he can see her constantly, he's not going to be able to resist looking at her or. Yeah, grab. It's also somewhat seeding a little bit of that control you were talking about to Varys, right? That's Varys's relationship. Varys has set that up, mm. um, so it's trusting him a little bit too. Um, yeah, I've, yeah. I, that that Taisha thing was just sad. I mean, that's the kind of story you tell to someone when you want them to engage in you, when you want them to to hear about who you are and 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 feel for you and, and learn with you and that's something you say to someone that you love. That that's a story you don't tell just anybody, right? And right. it's a compl- I mean, you pity him a little. It's just completely the wrong time. Um, you know, he, he makes a note of saying, "What are you know?" He saw her eyes get big, and what is she thinking? We can speculate. I don't know if we want to spend time doing it, but it just it's the wrong time to tell a story like that to somebody that they're just not on your page right now. You know, right? Yeah, her maturity level too. Yeah, probably. He says yeah. he he thinks at one point, my love for you shames me enough. And do you think that I thought that was interesting? Do you think it's he's ashamed of himself that he's in love with a whore, or is he ashamed because he kind of projects? I don't know. I think he kind of projects Taisha onto Shay, and he feels bad for it. Oh, I didn't and, think of that. Interesting. I, I didn't know. do that either. I, I didn't yeah, understand maybe. that line. I, that's kind of what I think it is, is he feels bad that he loves this person who he's essentially paying to pretend to love him back. And that's kind of not fair. Yeah, I, maybe, maybe I, if I'm pressed, I guess I'd say he's ashamed that he's allowed himself to fall in love with someone that he knows. The boundaries of this relationship are very clearly set, and he's allowed himself to fall in love anyway. Right. He talks. He talks in the Taisha story about how his cock betrays him. How he didn't want to have sex with Taisha that last time when his father was making him, and his cock betrays him. Well, in this case, his heart is betrayed. Him, yeah. Right. He knows the rules, and his heart has fallen anyway. Right. And he's yeah. He's uh, Brooke. You kind of mentioned this earlier a little bit. Is is that he's put Shay up on kind of this pedestal, and I mean she's. She's still a fairly young gal. I think she's still in her teens if we were to date her. 
and um, I'll date her. Age sure. her, not date her. Oh, <clears throat> date her. I barely know. Uh, I think she's still a teenager. You know, she's all of a sudden being lavished with all of this great stuff. She's got this big house all to herself. She's got beautiful silks to wear and jewelry and everything. And can he really blame her that much for being a little pouty at being put in the kitchens? Tyrion's thinking, I'm trying to keep you alive. But here we see that Shay really is, you know, she's an immature girl. And Mm -hmm. that's just what she is. Tyrion's kind of placed her on this pedestal, but that's not entirely accurate. Yeah, she's probably pretty street savvy, but not court savvy. Yeah. Mm. I was going to make a similar argument. I she they they paint her in sometimes being very savvy and understanding how the world is uh you know the bit about seeing a man for who he is um you know all that kind of stuff but it seems i don't know maybe you're right it's just a different type of of intelligence but it seems like she'd be able to put this together like oh yeah that's not safe for me here i think that she recognized varies in his costume was george letting us know that there's more to Shay than she lets people see yeah, she's certainly possessed of a unique, I almost said set of skills, like Taken. Yeah. A unique set of skills. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. But uh, a unique outlook, maybe, or a unique intuition. Yeah. Uh, is that is that pretty much it for this this chapter. Well, we didn't touch on any of the Varus magic stuff, really. Uh, maybe Davos oh. After Dark? I don't know. I forgot about that. Weird, huh? We talk about it being a bad time to talk about Taisha. This was a really weird time to talk about this. <laughs> yeah, you just yeah. kind of felt like it came out of nowhere. Like, he was, he was very much testing Tyrion, though. Like, just, like, kind of testing the waters. What does Tyrion think about magic? Yeah, I think mm-hmm. Varys knows that it's back. He probably knows about the dragons, and because he has informants everywhere, informants everywhere. So, including Jorah, <clears throat> right? We've established that Jor- Jorah is was in his pocket, right? Um, I think, but that's a spoiler. Is it? I thought that's we established fine. that already. No, it's it's in Game of Thrones. Oh, is it? I think Are you Var- sure? I think Varys says it. I- Pretty dang. Yeah, it doesn't come from Jorah, but I think it comes up, isn't it, in a small council meeting? I mm. think so, so yeah. Got... Yeah, so he's got, like like you said, Jorah feeding him what's going on over in the free cities. So he's wondering, like, where does Tyrion stand on all this? Yeah. It's kind of like how he can work work out the best situation for himself out of that. Yeah, I, I remember I... there was another time that he asked, or Tyrion asked him, the story he's like tell me you know what happened why you are the way you are and Varys that was like one of the serious moments we got from Varys he's like uh no like pretty much don't ask me again yeah I remember that Mm. time it notes actually in that paragraph his tone changed right and he got a different Mm -hmm. look than Tyrion had ever seen or something like that and yeah it, it it was either very affected um and 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 Varys was setting him up for this moment or it really is something that 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 drives Varys over the edge, and I still don't know. I mean, you listen to this story, and it sounds legitimately terrifying and scarring and horrible, but I don't really know if it's true. I don't know if he feels this way about magic. I don't. 
like you're saying, Brooke, he could just be pushing buttons. And that whole thing before from the previous conversation was a setup. I just don't know. Varys is so we need, awesome. We need a, yeah, we need a Varys POV chapter. But regardless, a cool story. Yep. Scary and interesting that it involved fire, right? Because mm-hmm. we do know that the Lord, R'hllor, is a big, I don't know, magic magnet. Mm-hmm. And when would that have, how old is Varys? When would that have been? I mean, I guess it would have been, were dragons still around at that time? Tying back to our previous conversation about magic being in the world and stuff. Oh, I'm not sure if he's that old. How old is he? Because dragons have been uh, gone for 150 years or something, right? So yeah, it wouldn't have been... Was it 150 years? Quite a few generations. Yeah. I don't think we ever find out how old Varys is. Yeah. I'm assuming he's been around for a while. We know he knew Illyrio Mopatis back in his glory days. Mm Mm-hmm. So, not like old man old, but middle-aged, I'd say. Great skin, though. (laughs) Great skin. Puts on his lotion. All right. Well, let's uh, let's move on then. Let's do some Davos. And this is going to actually be Davos after dark, not a Davos chapter. Um, everyone that's dropping off, thank you very much for joining us. And let's see here. Our next episode, episode 27, is going to cover Catelyn 6, Bran 6, Arya 9, Daenerys 4, and Tyrion 11. So after not getting any Danny Hardly through the first half of the book, all of a sudden we get two episodes in a row with her. That'll be fun. Uh, so join us then. But now let's go into Davos After Dark. Davos After Dark. So there's a couple things I wanted to talk about tonight. One of them being Shadow Babies. Shadow Assassins, if we will. Um, and a couple, just, just kind of the way it all works. What do you guys think? Uh, do you think we'll see another shadow baby? If so, who from, uh, it seems like these are a pretty powerful weapon, uh, that no one knows how to stop. And I don't know if it, we know it takes a toll on the quote unquote father because we see how much it wipes out Stannis. And in a later chapter, Melisandre says, I couldn't make another shadow baby with Stannis because it would probably kill him. Yeah, she's afraid. Yeah. Right. It's wiped him out. That's why he seems so haggard and stuff to Davos in this chapter is because he'd sired two shadow babies. And it appears that, you know, it takes, I see it like whatever light you have in you, it takes a portion of that light uh, from you. That's kind of how she made it sound to the point that she even says he doesn't have enough light left. To, to make another shadow baby. But I don't know. It seems to me like if she really wanted to win, she'd just go around letting every guy in Stannis's army sleep with her and, and do a shadow baby thing, you know, and just like get thousands of these guys going. Yeah. But this is where I get really frustrated with the rules. And I feel like I do it every episode now and people are probably sick of hearing it. But what are the rules? Is Stannis special in some way and he can do that? Can anyone do it? I mean, I'm with you. If if anyone can do it, it seems, seems like the path to victory is pretty clear if that's actually what Melisandre wants. It's another question, if she actually wants Stannis to win or not. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think there must be something special about Stannis or people like him, or she would just do mm-hmm. it all the time. And, you know, maybe it takes something from her, too. That's possible. Yeah, and what is it? Because Davos, she says... In that chapter that I'm referring to, she makes the offer to Davos. 
She says, come to my chamber one night and I could give you pleasure such as you have never known. And with your life fire, I could make and and talks about giving him a little shadow son. Oh, does she say, so, does she say that, that he could give her one? Yeah. Oh, I missed that somehow. Well, it's that answers chapter. my question. Maybe the rules are clear. Anyone can do it. That's, uh, yeah, she doesn't have the conversation with anyone else. It doesn't seem to be like a social standing issue, though, or something like that. Yeah. Because if Davos can do it, yeah, the Onion Knight. Yeah, maybe it's the strength of the man. Oh, like some sort of yeah. moral conviction, or yeah. Huh. Oh yeah, because that's what they do have in common. Yeah, it says that she calls it life fire. With your life fire, I could do this, and so maybe it has something to do with this kind of inner fire that they have. Yeah, Look but at I your feel life fire in my hair. <laughs> <laughs> wow i feel like i feel like melisandre just like takes random words from her sentences and just replaces them with the word fire though <laughs> you know what i mean like the dean and community <laughs> uh, community yeah. i think you're right <laughs> And uh, Scad, though, that you're right, uh, what you said during the regular portion of the podcast, that it, it does take a bit of the person with them. Um, referring to Stannis perceiving the actions of the shadow baby as his own, yeah. even though it's in a dream. That's really interesting how that works, too. I don't even think it was a dream. I think he perceives it as, as a dream. Kind of a, a vision. Yeah. 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 It's like the shadow baby has a GoPro on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. With a feed that only Stannis can see. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, we'll be interesting to see if uh, shadow babies... It seemed like, and I should have researched this better, but it seems like I remember in A Dance with Dragons almost like a veiled offer to John as well. Oh, yeah. Do you guys I, remember that? I feel it's like I remember that shadow. too. Yeah, I, I should have researched it more, but I think I'm, I'm almost positive it's in there. Oh, really? I'm on the Shadow Baby page. Like she's making offers to to everybody. Anyways, I mean, that'll it, be fun. It really does. I mean, I'm sure it's not a pleasant experience for her, but if she really can do it whenever she wants, maybe again the life fire thing. Maybe you have to be a certain kind of uh, guy that loves life a certain amount or something, but. It seems like she'd be doing this more if there aren't downsides to her. Or if she, unless she doesn't actually want Stannis to win, like I said. She's got ulterior mm -hmm. motives or something. Yeah, from, it'd be nice to know the rules. Sorry, go ahead. In her POV in A Dance with Dragons, it it's pretty clear that she's behind Stannis. That she does genuinely want him to, to take power. Hmm. But, yeah, I agree with you. It's It's kind of funny. It's like this really cool weapon that she refuses to use. I don't know. Use it or lose it. I don't know. I can't back that up. <laughs> <laughs> Want to talk some more magic and talk a little bit about Quaithen or proper prophecies? Sure. Yes. I have the page number so, if you guys want to be able to read it. Hey, do you want to review the, the prophecy? You want me to read it again? If, it's not very long, right? Oh, no, it's a few, yeah, sentences. Just a few sentences. I just got to get back to the page here. Uh, yeah. Well, let's just dissect it real quick. So, to go north, you must journey south. Mm -hmm. mm. I don't know. I don't know that she wants to go north. So, it's an interesting question. Um, 
To go north, you must go south. Uh, to reach the west, you must go east. Well, that seems pretty clear. She very much does want to go west. Um, she's telling her that you got to go east first. Don't know why. Uh, to go forward, you must go back. I don't know, memory or uh, back to the girl you were in your past. Innocence. I don't know. Could be any number of things. Uh, to touch the light, you must pass beneath the shadow. Which, um, the light, I don't know. The light of Relor, pass beneath the shadow, the shadow of a sigh. Mm. I mean, could be any number of things. Um, but that, you know, that's Dan, in the very next paragraph, Danny says a sigh right after he says pass beneath the shadow. So that's what she yeah, thinks of him. Yeah, she interprets it as a sigh. Yeah. yeah. But what, yeah. when she asks if, if, uh, what is there in a sigh that I will not find in Karth? She says truth. So it's almost like she's quite she, is telling her, you don't have everything you need to actually claim your birthright. You're missing information or something that, that you're going to require. Mm-hmm. And that just, I guess, depends on whether you believe Quaith or not. Right. And if it's if, if this is just kind of some abstract way of her saying that you're going to get to Westeros, or you need to get to Westeros through unconventional means, or if she's really being uh, literal on some things, like yeah. to go west, you must go east. Does that mean that Danny's going to have to go as far east and sail around the other way to Westeros, the way that no one's gone before? Like it could be that literal, right? Um, to go forward, you must go back. I thought of something there. The end of A Dance with Dragons... Who shows up at the very end? The Doth- Iron... Dothraki. Oh. Kal Joko, remember? He finds her, and then the oh, chapter yeah. ends, and that's all we get of Danny. And I wonder if she's going to have to kind of revisit her Dothraki past, and she finds some answers that way. And that's what it means to go forward. You must go back. Or does yeah. she have to go yeah. back further to, like, her ancestry? And Targaryen see- Secrets of further. Valyria. Yeah. yeah. Valyrian further. Right. I just feel like you must pass go ahead. Pass beneath the shadow makes me think of death. Yeah. I mean we know so little about a shy. I Matt, I mean I haven't even finished the World of Ice and Fire. I know you did. Do they tell you much about a shy in there? A sigh? There's a section on it, but it's fairly short and brief. Yeah. Those damn maesters, get on a fucking boat. You can write about this world. Maester Marwin went there. But yeah. that's all we've got on it. So. Yeah, I, I really got the impression that this was a very... It was less of a prophecy and more of a... Just a... a, a Quaith trying to guide Danny mm. To think unconventionally. To, yeah. To think outside mm. of the box, if you will. Yeah, about, more of a metaphor. Yeah. What's do you that makes me think what's Quaith's skin in the game? What does she why does she care? Yes, exactly. What is Quaith's motivation? Who is she? Maybe she's yeah, just like Brooke but... and wants to see the dragon succeed and grow. You know, it could be if if you're gonna wear a mask all the time and be part of some secret mystery society, you might just take pleasure in like meddling. <laughs> I think I would. You know, like all of my bills and stuff we're taking care of <laughs> you just meddle with people and I, could, and I could get away with covering my face did i re- <laughs> did i reveal my quaith as benjamin uh tinfoil 
What? No, it's not real, but I think I said it before. Because she never shows her face or whatever. Mm. Yeah. She's just talking in a real high-pitched voice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, who knows who else she is, because she does have that anonymity with the mask. Yeah. Which I She's love. She's serial. She's serial. Metal, metal, metal. Mm. Yeah. Possibly. Uh, I just, I just, so, <laughs> I'm saying that because everyone says that Sirio is everybody so obviously he's Quaith too I think I said this before I like Pride and Prejudice I think I just block Quaith out like I, I just I don't I don't want to deal with her jibber jabber nonsense that's not going to tell me anything legitimate until I get further in the story and I mm-hmm. just kind of black it out I don't even like I forget about her how is that yeah, Pride and Prejudice did oh, you just block out Pride I block, and Prejudice? I blocked out Because that's how I completely. am. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what? Like, pretend like the book there. and movies? Oh, I would never if you never catch me watching the movies. <laughs> of I, all the things I, that you I re- block I read book, out and don't take like don't pay attention to, you Listen, I read that book apparently in tenth grade. I have no memory of it. I had to be convinced by my friends who were in my same English class that we read it. <laughs> and I have no memory of any of the I know there's uh there's like uh some dude that wants to marry a chick. I, I don't honestly, I don't even know the story. I read this book, I have no idea. Wow. Yeah, I blocked it out. Where's the I, pride, where's the prejudice? Yeah, I'm sure they're both in there. <laughs> Gotta be somewhere. Yeah. Darcy. I Darcy's agree. his name, yeah. right? I remember the uh, Darcy. Yeah? Yeah, there's huh? Mr. Darcy. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. That's one of them. Did you see Bridget Jones's diary? No. Oh. No. Should I? Okay. Is this well, a, a it's a modern retelling of Pride and Prejudice. Oh. I mean, there must be a lot of those, right? Oh, no, not a Pride and Prejudice. I'm thinking of Sense and Sensibility. Oh, I'm getting them mixed up now. Yeah, same hmm. you're, you're not going to like either one of them. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Give me a lot of credit. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I feel bad. Jane Austen is obviously mm. like very well-respected author and stuff, but I just can't stomach it. I... Oh, no. Oh, it was Pride and Prejudice. Never mind. Whew. Man. I almost got my Jane Austen mixed up. Scad, you're more le- linked into the uh, theories out there and stuff. I imagine there's a lot out there on Quaith and stuff. Uh, I haven't looked. You looked at them No. Like I said, I block her out. She just doesn't interest me. I, I don't know right. why. I, I agree. I, I agree. I don't have any reason why. Uh, you'd think she would. Mystery. Mask. What's her motivation? Why? I, but I just kind of, eh, we'll find out later. I kind of just don't care for some reason. I feel like a lazy fan now. <laughs> what do you think, though, about the magical ability coming back into the world? Do you think it all ties together? We mentioned it a little bit in the cast, but maybe we can talk about it more freely now. Uh, is it all big, one big coinkadink that others and dragons and everything is coming to a head right now? I don't think it's a coincidence. I, I mean, but I feel like it's bigger than just Danny or bigger than just the others. Like, I, I feel like there's got to be some sort of greater force. Brooke, I think you talked about like way, way long time ago in the episodes about like there's usually bigger forces above and then there's, you know, these other forces below and. They've got to, they kind of cancel each other out, and it's about one of the sides gaining an advantage somehow by sometimes leveraging the god above. Like, do you remember all this conversation? Wow, no, yeah. you're giving me way more credit than I deserve. Well, that sounds deep. I feel, I feel like maybe it's Azora High, maybe it's something else, but I think there's got to be some sort of god tie-in or something going on at a higher level 
than just Danny and just the others and just John. Maybe? Or I really don't think that was me. <laughs> I'll go find it someday. Uh, I don't know. What do you think, Matt? That's why I asked you guys. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't think it's a coincidence. I think it does have to do with the song of ice and fire. I still think that John and Danny are the song of ice and fire uh, together. Um, as far as magic goes, magic is really interesting because it is obviously a powerful part of all of this, but it requires people for the magic to work, right? Like power is not this over or magic yeah. isn't this overarching power that controls the people. It, it requires people to wield it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the force. And. Yeah, like the force. Uh-huh. And um like well, it just can't act in and of itself. Power just can't act conscientiously and achieve magic's means. Magic can't do that by itself. It requires people a with a high midichlorian level. Shut it. <laughs> so, I'm with you. I I and and that's part of so I I kind of for a while have thought that magic never really left the world. It's kind of like a common phrase, and you just kind of take it for granted, like that magic left the world for a hundred years or whatever. I kind of mm-hmm. think it's bullshit. I kind of think, yes, like the people kind of let it go for a while. The Targaryens were just in control of everything because of the dragons. They had this big war, and like their supply of dragons dwindled. And for some something, some re- for some reason, the Targaryens that happened to be born during that period didn't have the fire inside they needed to wake the dragons and the eggs and stuff. And so the dragons faded, but the magic was still there. The others were still there. They were just waiting for the right time in the long winter or their god to command them to move or, you know, whatever. There's legend that there were still dragons in Asai while there were no dragons in Westeros. I kind of think the the magic being dead thing is just a myth. And yeah, again, going back to Star Wars, right? The force never went away uh, after Darth Vader and the Emperor had all the Jedi killed. Yeah. Um, it was still there. It, uh, we just needed Lukey. Lukey Luke. Yeah. So, uh, it's interesting to see how this part plays into it and if magic hmm, really will have, you know, if it is going to become like this thing that turns the tides or if it's more about not so much the, the magic that maybe a Danny's able to tap into, but more of her, just her character and her strength of will that's more important in the end, you know? It'll be interesting to see how all this magic plays out. Yeah. Yeah, because just not to beat a dead horse, but the, the dragons went extinct. We don't know why, right? They just stopped hatching. Yeah, basically. Yeah. It must have been magic, though, right? So it was just a different magic than the dragons counteracting it. Yeah. Well, this the they they it wasn't like a they just stopped being born thing. It was they got it was very gradual and and they got weaker and weaker and weaker until the final dragon was like this weak thing that didn't even live very long, and that was it. Yeah, but they eventually though they had eggs hatched. that wouldn't hatch. Right. Eventually though they and had they eggs able... and they would put them in the cribs with the Targaryen kids like they always did, and the dra- the eggs wouldn't hatch. Right. I'm not making mm-hmm. that up, am I? Yep. I think that's nope. in a world of ice and fire. Um, and so that that's what I'm saying is that like, yeah, I think it's actually agreeing with you, Brooke. It's like 
the the magic wasn't in those people to wake the dragons. I don't know why those Targaryens were weaker or inefficient or whatever. But Danny does have it, right? Don't know why, right. but Danny does, and just like many Targaryens before her did. And it's almost I hate relying mm. on this, but it's almost like a coincidence that the dragons disappeared because the Targaryens were weak and couldn't raise them, and the rest of the Valyrians had died. And so it made it seem to the people of Westeros that magic was gone, when really it was just the Targaryens of that generation sucked. Yeah. I was tr actually trying to support your argument by saying that dragon magic wasn't gone, there was just another magic counteracting it. Oh. And then at some point, that magic got counteracted by Danny. What other magic and was counteracting we... it? Who knows? Oh. Yeah, that's crazy thing well and here's part of that that plays a part in it too is what we've talked about before the conspiracy of the maesters and the citadel yeah was... how much of a role are they playing in just this this mm. uh anti-pr campaign against magic i wanted to bring that up too but i have so little information about it that i i knew i'd just paint myself into no, a it's, corner it's it's speculative but uh we know that they they don't focus on it there's that valyrian link that you can earn but it sounds like it's not a very popular course to take at the Citadel. Yeah. Um, we all know how Maester Lewin uh, treats it. He's like, it's just gone, Bran. It's just gone. Don't worry about it. It's gone. <laughs> it's the calculus of, of, uh, of Maester's chains. Um, you know, no, nobody wants to take it. It's too hard. And, uh, and they, they probably, they probably discount its value because they don't understand it. Right. Yeah. It's not even There's worth no value the credit in hours. Right? Uh, you don't want. You don't I want could to get that. my. I could get my credit hours another place and graduate earlier if I take these other courses. True right. story. The only C <laughs> I got in college, calculus. Had a boy. Stupid. My Otherwise, C was in math D's? too. Huh? Otherwise, all D's. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I got two C's in in math. It like I took like I didn't even take calculus. I took like some algebra crap class, and I still got a C, and accounting. I took calculus mm. because I wanted to be a well-rounded person. Is that not the dumbest reason you've ever heard of taking a class? It's really dumb. Yeah. Really dumb. Yep. That's me. <laughs> That's your scad. <laughs> oh. Well, uh, any any other things we can stay and talk if you guys want about other things that have come up during these chapters that you want. I know there's some smaller things. There might be some bigger ones, too. Any that uh, really stuck out to you guys? I just want to say I think Varys is full of shit. I think he's lying? Yeah, I think so. Might be. Why do you think so? Well, I'm I'm not even saying the story is not true, but mm. his feelings about magic I think are not true. Mm. And I th I think he has a vested interest in bringing the Targaryens back in, and I think he knows that they're magic and or have it in their blood. And I don't I'm sure he if if that story happened and it might it may have um he certainly has ill will and anger at the event but I don't think he blames magic overall for it. Yeah, so what end is he trying to achieve with telling Tyrion that? Uh is more he just trying to feel him out, more convincing him that he's on Tyrion's side and wants to destroy Stannis. Uh-huh. I'm your I'm your loyal boy. I, I thought the story in itself is kind of weird. Like, first of all, it's unprecedented, which doesn't discount it. You know, all the stuff that we've had with the lore type magic and stuff before, 
we haven't really heard voices. They see things in the flames, but we haven't heard a voice. Mm. Um, I don't get the point of sacrificing just his penis. It's the uh, source of virility. I don't know. Right. Yeah. And so if it is true, what does that say about Varys? Because how would the sorcerer know to pick Pick Varys out of everybody and then cut off his junk? Uh, This could support the Varys is a Targaryen theory. Yeah. That, um, you know, maybe they were trying to cut off his bloodline uh, and prevent him from spreading the seed, as it were. Um, But then it's like, well, what? why cut off the penis and leave him alive? Why not just kill him outright? I don't know. There's a lot of questions surrounding it. Hmm. Here's what we know. know. He can never make a shadow baby. Oh, but do we? What if he's not even a eunuch? Oh, yeah. What if he's still got it? What if he's still hung and he just tells everyone he's not? Good point. Hmm. That would be... Uh, just a fat dude. The mummery of all mummeries. <laughs> has has anyone looked like under his robes to see? We definitely don't oh. have the answer to that question. <laughs> but he could be a Targaryen, right? Maybe that's why he shaves his head because he's got white hair and everyone would know. Or he has silver hair and everyone would know if he didn't shave his head. That is part of the theory, yeah. Oh, is it? Well, yeah, they say that. They're just uh, as an add-on. It's like yeah, and he shaves his head because he doesn't want people to see his hair color. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I like it's that. possible. All right. Should we call it? Anything else you guys want to bring up? Yeah, I'm good. Good bunch of chapters. All right. Uh, Brooke, you want to take us out of here? This is Brooke signing off saying, Dream it, be it by SCAD. Good night. <laughs> it's not me. Uh, This is Matt reminding you that I don't even own a gun, let alone many guns that would necessitate an entire rack. What am I going to do with a gun rack? (laughs) Thank you, Wayne. (laughs) And that quote was not from me, Brooke. It was from Rocky Horror Picture Show. Ah. Uh, And my quote is, thank you from Renly and Loris. For today's actions oh yes very good oh yeah that is nice good night, you know good how call. long uh gay marriage has been legal in canada <laughs> like 11 years yeah, okay i'm done very happy for all you americans we're still working on it in westeros <laughs> someday someday all right night guys good night everybody good night <laughs> Yeah, because Zaro comes to her in Dance with Dragons, he shows up again yeah. and tries to urge oh, her. Oh, hey, to... spoilers, Matt. Oh, wait. I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> I've never slipped like that. Well, I probably have before, but edit that out. Oh, yeah, so Danny doesn't find out until later. Correct. Yeah, that's right. Right. Okay. Now that is a spoiler. Damn it. Okay, well, I'll edit that out. So <laughs> Tricked. Walked into that one. Um... Today was a pretty major uh, U.S. court decision. Indeed.
I was mm-hmm. just going to include it in my as part of my sign off. But uh, yeah, nine well, months from now there'll be absolutely no babies on account of the celebration tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I read a tweet today that said I read a tweet today that said they legalized gay marriage but they didn't legalize gay divorce. It's a trap. <laughs> it's a Matt, trap. That was my tweet. I retweeted that. Admiral Akbar. <laughs> well, that's where I read it. All he said was he read it somewhere. Listen, it was the NHL draft today, so that's all I was checking That's for why you were at home. And uh you stayed home for it? Wow. Not, not just that. <laughs> One second, I walked away from my water and I know that I'll get like halfway through this and it'll be nothing but sticky mouth. That's what she said. <laughs> oh, I was on mute. I couldn't say it. <laughs> oh my god. You two are Real Randy tonight. Real Randy. <laughs> For Matt, it's a regular occurrence. <laughs> Rarely do I crack up like this anymore, but that was really good. The sticky mouth usually is. Halfway through. When I think. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to start. Cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat>